Welcome to Musician. I'm your host, Andrew Lapau. Let's start the show. Today on Musician, I have award-winning, chart-breaking music and podcast producer, recording engineer, musician, and owner of the Grammy-awarded recording studio, The Toy Box Studio in East Nashville, Tennessee, the one and only Lidge Shaw. You might know Lidge from his famous podcast, Recording Studio Rockstars, where he takes his listeners inside the recording studio um, with special guests who have made huge strides in the music industry as producers and engineers, um, and they talk about technique, the wisdom they've gained over the years. It's an amazing podcast. I would highly recommend it to my listeners. Lidge came over to my studio to talk about the current projects he's working on, his podcast, and uh, the legal fight between him and the city of Nashville um, which we really get into in the beginning of the podcast, so you don't want to miss that. Um, so without further ado, here's my interview with Lidge Shaw. Enjoy. I got a call from somebody who was considering moving here and wanting to buy a house and do it and everything, and he was just shocked that it was like all of a sudden he had to reconsider what his options were, that it wouldn't, it wouldn't even be possible for him to actually move to Nashville buy a house, build a home studio in it, and start working from it, you know? He's just scared to do it because... Well, I mean, a, he didn't know. He yeah. didn't really know that it's not allowed, that, like, you know, you can do that for 10 years or something like that, and all of a sudden just somebody pulls the rug out from under you randomly, you know? Yeah, a stranger. A, a random stranger could just pull the rug out. Um, there was an article published in the East Nashvilleian about the law itself. It wasn't because anybody had gotten in trouble. Mm-hmm. Um but then when I saw your uh, that popped up on my on my iPhone news app actually in the in the like billboard feed so I was like oh whoa this is right down the street from me and this is every producer's worst nightmare yeah um, or one of them and uh, and and it's just it's a sad thing because it was but somebody staying in an Airbnb I called oh my was, situation yeah. now mine was. Um Randomly, in 2015, I received a cease and desist letter from the city. So the city codes sent me a letter in my mailbox. I had, was having a great day, a great session, doing a mix. Walked up to the mailbox, checked my mail before going on a run. It's a gorgeous day, and I open up this. I see this letter, and I open it up, and it's like it says cease and desist, being the toy box studio um, as a commercial studio in a residence. Um, you have. 30 days to comply or whatever. And I was like, holy shit, you know, what is this all about? And so I looked, you know, I started talking to people, tried to find out more about it. Um, I can't remember how fast this happened. I think this was a little bit later, but a month goes by. I I sort of uh, tried to learn more about what was going on. A month goes by, and then I get a call from City Codes, and and they said um, it was Inspector... Uh, sounded like an older lady, and she was. She said, um, 
you know, you're ready to schedule an inspection. And I was like, inspection? What do you mean? She said, well, we'll come by and we'll verify that you've removed all recording equipment from the premises. And I was like, what are you talking about? No. That's incredible. I was like, I can't, I can't do that. I'm, it's like, I'm a home. I live here. This is my home. I was a home studio. You know, this is what I, what I do. And this is my stuff. Um, I'm trying to be in compliance. You know, what do you need me to do? And, and she said, uh, you know, she beat me up about my website and stuff and made me take a video down because I was doing what, you know, everybody does in Nashville, which was, you know, I had learned how to make records for a living and and came to Nashville to do that. And what Nashville told me, taught me is, you know, here's how you make records. Here's how you make records in home studios. Mm-hmm. Everybody has home studios. It's a totally viable thing to do for, for a career choice. Mm-hmm. And you know, 20 years ago, I bought my house with the intent of being able to create my home studio and work in it. And, um, you know, I, I finally moved down into my garage space 10 years ago and been happily making records from there. In fact, I just won a Grammy um, for Mike Ferris, Shine for All the People. Congratulations. Which was, thanks. It was, it was mixed in my studio. So uh, uh-huh. mixed, mixed by Chad Brown. And, um, you know, just got the plaque up on the wall. And then, you know, a month or two later, I get a cease and desist letter oh from my. the city. Um, but Look, Lou Reed has a line about that. He's like, you, you work so hard to get your, your art out to the world and, and you just, you know, tooth and nail to make it. And then once you make it, you get sued. Right. <laughs> Lou Reed, he's made some great records, that's for sure. Um, you know, so let's see. So. Anyway, I'm talking to the city codes inspector, and she made me remove my video. So I had created. I was basically trying to do all the right moves for you know, if you want to grow a small business and and thrive in this internet you know environment. Now, mm-hmm. you do thing. You do smart things. You have social media. You have a Facebook page. You have a website. You know, you try and start growing an email list. You have a YouTube channel. Um, you promote yourself. I was learning how to do Facebook ads, stuff like that. All just the basic things that you right. use the internet for to yeah. kind of have a successful, thriving, you know, business. Mm-hmm. Probably in this day and age, uh, thriving isn't even the aspiration so much as just being normal as a business. Yeah, you know, business. You're, and you're trying to you're doing as much as you can as an entrepreneur, which you have yeah. to be as a freelance any any type of freelance work in the music industry. Yeah, totally. So. She saw my website and, and had me remove a welcome video that I'd created for the front page. Um, she had me take down rates off my website so that I couldn't say, you know, that you could hire me in the studio for so much money um, and, and come over. Anything that looked like it was an invitation for somebody to come over to my house. So what Nashville has is the restriction is it says that you can have a home-based business, which they call a home occupancy permit but you can't have a customer come to your house so i would say first of all nobody's even got these home occupancy permits like probably a handful of businesses even do Mm -hmm. home businesses and then on top of that everybody who has studios has or any kind of home business whether it's cutting hair whether it's um you know like selling uh, essential oils or whatever you know and having people come over to your house uh, n- none of us are allowed to actually have somebody come over to our house, so that's, that's, that's the, most, the real limitation. It's the know? most historic way to make a living, though, like, <laughs> yeah. from the founding of the, the United States. Yeah, exactly. To work yeah. out of your own... Bake some muffins and have somebody come yeah. over and buy them from you. So, 
anyway, she did all these things. The one that I, was really quite shocking too is that I had grown a YouTube channel for the studio yeah. and was uh, inviting bands to come over and we would make videos with iPhones. It wasn't even a, a fancy high production thing. It was just cool. You know, it was yeah. just fun to do and a great community, music community builder for, mm-hmm. for the local musicians. And so bands would come over. We'd, we'd all kind of videotape each other uh, performing songs and then I'd post those on my YouTube channel. It was called Stereo Sessions. Mm-hmm. And I'd done those for a few years, but the year leading up to this cease and desist letter, I had been really, really um, proactive. And I was putting out two videos every single week of a band doing an original song um, as, a, as a live performance. Mm-hmm. It was super cool and it was a lot of fun and people really enjoyed it. And it was like a really positive thing for the neighborhood, you know? So she made me sh- shut the whole channel down. She was just like, so, no, so who, no more who videos. So who rang the alarm? Right. So at first, and, and actually officially, it's still anonymous. Wow. So, so the city codes has an anonymous web form that anybody can randomly go to, fill it <laughs> out, and just, you know, turn in their friends and neighbors. Um, and so somebody had filled out a complaint, which caused the city to come down on me with this. And I didn't really know that at first because, honestly, the whole experience was so scary and frightening to have the city coming down and, yeah. you know, hammering down on me that, um, you know, my first reaction was, you know, pretty much tail between the legs. Yes, ma'am. What can I do to make yeah. this right? Uh, I just, you know, just leave me alone. Because, mm-hmm. you know, I'm a, I'm a single dad. I'm raising my daughter, trying to make a living trying to pay my my mortgage and my bills and you know survive and actually be a homeowner mm-hmm. in East Nashville so um, you know I got a lot of I got a lot at stake you know and so um, the 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 fear of having anything terrible happen is um, its claws went deep into me I oh, guess yeah. you can say it that way <laughs> yeah um, but anyway so so she sort of told me to stop doing all these things and then you know then that started a two-year process bringing it to the present or three years i guess at this point wherein um i spoke to the tennessean and i did an anonymous article and that landed on the front page of the newspaper and uh you know was telling the story about this happening and they were talking about you know the the ridiculousness of telling people that you can't make music in music city because uh, obviously that's what Nashville is built on. It's mm-hmm. the—I don't think they really call Nashville anything other than Music City, do they? Are we known? <laughs> do we claim to be anything else? I mean, we don't call ourselves Healthcare City, right? Right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I know. Yeah. It is the it is the industry here. Um, and how how is that that situation any different from what other producers who are winning Grammy, you know, award winning productions and winning Grammys and doing it out of their homes because that's a common thing. It's, there's no difference. I mean, you know, I have no uh, intention of, you know, outing yeah. other home studios or anything like that. So I, my goal no, is to right, exactly. yeah, fight yeah. this battle for um, to make, you know, make this a, a welcoming environment for all home studios mm-hmm. in Nashville. But, I mean, we're, we're all up against the same problem. Um, so... Uh, I'll try and fast forward this story too, but I spoke to the press then two um, pro bono legal firms 
reached out to me after that and they said, you know, you're exactly the kind of person we're trying to help and represent. Mm -hmm. You know, would you like to work with us? Can we help you uh, fight this thing and actually, you know, fight for your right to be able to make an honest living from your home? So one of them is called the Institute for Justice and then the other one is the Beacon Center. Okay. And the Beacon Center is right here in Nashville and the Institute for Justice is in D.C. and um, Phoenix, Arizona. And so... I talked to both of them and I was like, well, if you guys are great at what you do and you're great at what you do, why don't mm-hmm. we just all, you know, we all got the same goal. Let's work together on this. So um, remarkably, you know, they they found common ground on them. We've been just, you know, this. I've been lucky to have this super team of lawyers who are trying to help figure out how to uh, defend this situation for myself and also for um, a co-plaintiff who is a retired hairdresser. Okay, who's literally just she, yeah, she literally just wants to be able to support herself in a retirement by continuing to cut hair from, you know, an extra chair in her converted garage yeah. turned into like a you know yeah. a hair salon. Wow, it's it's crazy that those are the same the same thing. I yeah. mean, it's it is a scary thing because I mean, with that anonymous uh, like tip, someone could just ruin. Ruin yeah, another person's career and, and that's life. totally what yeah. happened to me so for for you know a couple of years for a few years even uh, as I had conversations with friends with colleagues with other people mm-hmm. with the lawyers you know it's all just conjecture about well it must have been this it must have been yeah, yeah. parking or it must have been people or noise or something you know mm-hmm. or, or competition like everything under the sun that somebody could think of right except for what it turned out to actually be okay. um, so Coming forward in time, um, we had tried to apply for a rezoning of my residence, um, which was the only option that the city actually allowed at this point for a, uh, you know, for a home studio was if it was zoned as a mixed use commercial residential, then it would be totally okay. Um, And so I spent a year trying to get that and got tons of support from the neighborhood, had neighbors come out downtown to the Metro Council, show support, write letters, sign petitions. And still the Metro Council said, nope, sorry, well, um, not allowed, you know, 20 votes no to 14 votes yes. Uh, even my councilman, Metro Councilman, was 100% supportive mm-hmm. and, um, you know, this great orator up there, uh, but it got shot down uh-huh. anyway. So then the next level was to um, file a lawsuit. So we filed a very public lawsuit in okay. December of 2017, and then now we're in this process of going through that. And one of the things that happened after we filed the lawsuit and kind of, you know, trying to get the word out there through press is that two of the lawyers on my legal team went on to Channel 5 News for something called the Open Line Call-In Program. Mm-hmm. And so they, they were on the news program with the host accepting local phone calls from residents of Nashville calling in with questions to answer it and stuff like that. And so this guy calls in and he identifies himself as the one who filed the complaint, oh, the my. accuser. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, you can't make this stuff up, right? Was this, was this live? So it was on live television. Yeah, it's still, still up there. You can still go watch it. Um, and he said that he was trying to open a computer repair business himself. Had gotten an, <laughs> as I recall, he said he... he uh, got an LLC set up. He got a business license from the city, and then he called City Codes to come on down and do an inspection at his house so that he could start his his home computer repair business. And they said, "No, you can't do it." And he said, and he got really fr- frustrated, and um, said he started doing research about other home businesses, 
and then filed a complaint. Absolutely. He did it out of spite. I guess, yeah. I mean, he didn't stay on the phone long enough for anybody to ask him, did you do this out of spite or anything? But, uh, you know, the only other option is is just to be like, you know, not really thinking it through. Yeah. uh, (laughs) To to put it nicely. Yeah. So anyway, so, um, you know, he filed the complaint. Um, I don't know who else he threw under the bus along with me, but I think he only found me because... I was on the internet because I had put my name of my studio on Google Maps so that a musician could find their way to my studio Uh, when we were doing a session, you know, that kind of stuff. Basic stuff just to try and make everything flow easily and and work great. Um, And that's what what, uh, supposedly, you know, triggered this whole thing was just a totally random stranger you know, a few blocks over, kind of in the neighborhood, but not exactly in the neighborhood. No, nowhere near my so house. So he couldn't even hear you. No, no, he no was I, just, I don't even know, know him. I haven't even met him. Yeah. He did, we don't even know each other. Wow. Um, so well, yeah. it was a little, a little bit silly. I mean, I you know, he's already identified himself on public TV, so I, I can kind of uh, share this punchline yeah. with you. He said he said his name is Ch- his uh, name is Chance, um, and he was doing this. And my conclusion to all this is. Um, my friend, some things are just better not left to chance, if you know what I mean. So, uh, oh yeah, man, I, I'm sorry that happened to you. I mean, that's that sucks. That guy. Yeah, yeah it's been know. it's been really devastating. It's been a huge hassle. Um, I feel fortunate in the midst of this misfortune to be lucky enough to have such a wonderful legal team and actually be in a position to be able to fight this and try and make a real change for everybody because the amount of support and emails and Facebook messages and texts and, um, you know, even T-shirt sales. I made, um, designed a T-shirt that just says um, Save Home Studios on it, you know, in Music oh, City. great. And, and it's you- this great, uh, it's this great arm holding a microphone, fist in the air like the Re- Viva La Revolution and oh, the nice. mic's got the three Tennessee stars on it, you know. Oh, I want one of those. Okay, all right. I'll, I'll, we'll make sure we put a link in the in the show notes. Yeah, here if yeah, you want to. sure. Yeah, in fact, if if anybody who's listening wants to learn more about this, just go to savehomestudios.com. Savehomestudios.com. Yeah. And I'm, it's it's a little bit messy as a website, but I've literally just been collecting um, links to all the press that's happening around this and reposting them there because there's so many great articles being written about this. I don't even feel compelled to you know try and write the ultimate article myself about what it. What do you think the the best thing that listeners can do? Um, I think uh, a great thing to be able to do now is, um, you know, if you want to go to the website, get a shirt of your own, mm-hmm. um, hashtag Save Home Studios. If you want to uh, say anything on social media, um, include that hashtag and that'll help connect it to the other social posts okay. that are going out there. Um, if you see anything that's about this issue, you know, like it drop a comment in and share it. And mm-hmm. I, I know it's really geeky stuff and we're probably all sick of social media at this point, but yeah. it is, you know, the way that causes things to kind yeah. of really get out there and get the message heard. And, and is this law just uh, specifically for uh, Metro Nashville or is it a Davidson County? Davidson County. Okay. Yeah. So this reaches all the way up into Madison, um, you know, reaches, I don't know all the limits of Davidson mm-hmm. County, but so the citizens of Davidson County, they could contact their contact yeah, Metro. Yeah, and- contact your Metro council member and let them know that you think that this is a lot of BS um, okay. and that home businesses are part of what makes Nashville work, particularly recording studios and right. you know being able to make music in Music City. I mean, we're talking about like 
you know, if you're co-songwriting and you have somebody come over, where's the definition of customer if you're writing a song together yeah. in a place yeah. and somebody comes over to your house, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and also, it's an absurd limitation because theoretically it says that I could take all the recording equipment I want over to somebody else's house and record them there and that wouldn't be That's, breaking the rule, yeah. you know? And of course, if I did that, it'd be loud as hell because it'd be in somebody's house which is not soundproof yeah, exactly. for, for rocking out whereas you know i actually have a totally professionally soundproof studio it's a perfect place where it doesn't bother anybody at all and it works really great i mean i happen to have uh, plenty of parking and on my property and driveway mm-hmm. and everything so nothing about um, my home studio and working there does anything other than make the neighborhood a better place which my neighbors actually came out and said you know to the metro council and, and do you think this issue has led to uh, your studio getting highlighted, actually, as a place to record? Has it been oh, actually... Oh, I don't know. I mean, yeah. you know, it's not exactly like it's caused the phone to ring off the, mm. the hook. Uh, did phones still ring off the hook? I guess my cell phone <laughs> would vibrate in my pocket. Yeah. But, um, you know, it's definitely drawing a lot of attention to me and the whole battle and everything. And, you know, I still love making records. And um, probably I'm making better records now because of my podcast. Okay. Just from all the things I've learned. So, well, we can we can actually this is kind of a fork in the road now. We can either talk about your studio, the Toy Box and how you've built that up over the years or we can talk about your podcast and talk about all the knowledge that you think is making you a better producer. Well, I mean, they kind of go hand in hand too. So, my my studio is the Toy Box Studio and and you just go to the toyboxstudio.com if you want to check that out. It's in East Nashville. Like I say, I, I moved down here in 1991 to go to Middle Tennessee State University to learn how to record music. And then from Murfreesboro, came up to Nashville, the city, and um, started working in some different studios. And like I say, um, saw that what you do in Nashville is you put a studio in your home. And there are all kinds, there's like a, decades of history of amazing home studios that have been built, made you know, mm-hmm. Grammy-winning, multi-platinum-selling records that have become iconic all around the world. I saw that, thought, well, I want to do that too. You know, that seems like a cool way to do it. Yeah, I really uh, come from an appreciation of kind of the indie rock scene. You know, right. I, I sort of went to school in St. Louis. Well, not sort of. I did go to school in St. Louis at Washington University before coming down here and had played in bands there, and I'd mm-hmm. seen touring bands like um, Camper Van Beethoven and yep. the Red Hot Chili Peppers and Jonathan Richman and, you know, uh, um, the Flaming Lips, you know, when they were just all bubble machines and drum solos. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, these are all bands that I'd seen come through and play and, and it really turned me on to music. And it's the kind of stuff I really wanted to do myself down here. So I was a little less interested in doing country music or trying to even do anything that was a hit. You know, I just mm-hmm. kind of didn't care. I just like music that I liked. Mm-hmm. And I, wa- I love working with cool local bands that are just doing um, creative things. And was, it was in 91 when you came down here? 91 is when I came down here, yep. Yeah. And then when I finally bought my house was in 2000, so nine okay. years later. And so in between that time, uh, you were building your... Your studio up. Still. Yeah, I started, uh, you know, I was done with school in 95, I guess. And then, you know, there's a five-year stretch in there of, of working and doing my first records and beginning to have an income and in, mm-hmm. in recording a real, you know, really making a life for myself. In fact, the first job I had when I was first working in studios before I would make enough doing studio work to support myself was um, still delivering pizzas. I was mm-hmm. delivering pizzas for two different pizza companies 
and I went to go do a high-speed U-turn in an intersection, somebody smashed right into me, which they had every right to do because I was doing a high-speed uh-huh. U-turn in an intersection. And I took out my car, and it was like, all right, I can't even drive my car now. I think it's time to get serious, get serious about, about making records, you know, and just do that. Yeah. Um, but for a long time, for, um, you know, 10 years... I pretty much took every penny that I made from work and, you know, once I was done paying for, you know, the cheapest rent I could afford Mm -hmm. and and, uh, bean burritos at Taco Bell or whatever I was eating, Mm -hmm. it all just went right into gear and I just started slowly collecting, you know, instruments, microphones. Right. Was was there a setup that you, you like, really loved or were you always experimenting and getting a new mic or was there, like, one thing? Dude, I love my setup right now. Yeah. Yeah, okay. I've probably got the best setup I've ever had. No, no doubt about <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a collection. You know, it's something to be um, really thoughtful about too, because um, sometimes we can take that stuff for granted. Mm-hmm. Um, because you know, you, you could make a record with any different mics, different instruments, mm-hmm. different whatever. But sometimes we forget just how much work and effort goes in over time, over a decade or two decades, into collecting all yeah. these bits of gear we have. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, you try and be properly insured for it, too, because right. if anything bad was to happen. But even that's hard to do, you know. It's, so it's like always always just keep. Yeah. Don't sleep at night. Yeah. I mean, and I, I really <laughs> honestly, you know, renter's insurance only goes so far. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, all that. Um, just, I mean, that's a downer kind of a topic. But, <laughs> but I think it's important for everybody to keep hearing over and over. Yeah. And just yeah. a reminder to you to. Uh, Go take a hard, good hard look at, at whether or not, you know, what would happen if you lost all your studio stuff? Um, how would you get started again? Would you have yeah. to, you know, rebuild from zero or would you make well, the, sure that you were insured? Everything's a building so block, you, can, onto, you know, yeah. that everything else rests. Yeah, so, so much stuff. So anyway, um, you know, I, I've been collecting stuff for ages. Um, you know, now I've got a wonderful console that was custom built um, by G. Parned for you know, who founded MCI, and he built this console for Studio C of Criteria Studios down in Miami mm-hmm. and it lived there all through the 1970s mm-hmm. it's a custom built all discrete one of a kind board that didn't even have schematics when I got it I mean it still doesn't have schematics mm-hmm. except I did draw out the, the mic pre's at one point to try and figure out how to um, recap them myself and add phantom power yeah. I saw it in the in your um, YouTube uh, studio tour yeah. it looks like a, like a cockpit of an airplane, yeah, the so way the faders say, work. Yeah, yeah, airplane faders when yeah. they come, go up and over the curve. That's because those faders are um, actually it's a it's a, a post that hinge that's hinged at the bottom. So the fader is the top of the post. So it's like your, yeah. you know, it's like hinged a throttle, at the bottom, like of, a yeah. throttle. Yeah. yeah, and then it actually has stepped resistors inside it. Uh-huh. So if you have a base part going through it and you move it quick enough, you hear a zipper effect. <laughs> so That's it's cool. not really like a modern console, you yeah. know, with these like continuous plastic resistive faders and stuff. But BGs, yeah. So BGs did their records on that. Staying Alive, Saturday Night Fever, um, Hotel California for the Eagles was done on there. Um, Do you think I'm sexy, Rod Stewart? Ocean Four Sixty One Ocean Boulevard for Eric Clapton. Uh, We're an American band, Grand Funk Railroad, um, the Grease soundtrack. Whoa! Yeah, that was done on there too. Yeah, <laughs> uh, Grease Lightning. Wow. Um, Margarita. In my, all in Miami. All in Studio C on that board. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all in Miami. Uh, Margaritaville was cut on there. Wow. So you got history in got, there. It's got yeah. history. Yeah. So 
It's a lot of fun. I use the mic pre's all the time. I don't really use the mixing section as much. Okay. Um, I've done all the things you would think of and you would think to ask me, which probably everybody wants to know, did you break out Pro Tools and run it all through the faders and mix it that way? And yes, I totally did that. <laughs> and after doing that a handful of times, realized that that was such a huge pain in the ass um, that it's not, it's not much fun when you're trying to get a sound out of a piece of gear and 45 minutes of it is getting excited about how cool you think it sounds. And then all of a sudden, and 45 minutes later, you're like, oh, wait a minute. Is that still at the same level that it was when I said it way back when and when I was trying to make a judgment so call it's on all this? hot now. And yeah. you're like, wait, no, shoot, did yeah. I just lose the bass 3 dB? Yeah. Uh, so yeah. so I, what I use the mixer f- section for a lot is um, I was actually mixing all the stereo session stuff live through it. So that was really cool. If you want to do like a live mix through it or a mix where you're manually moving the faders, it's great. It's mm-hmm. just in the world of Uber recallability and a Pro Tools you know, or a Logic session or whatever, the computer is, you know, wins and, and that you want to use it for that. But. Did you bring that to Bonnaroo, that board? No, 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 okay. no. No, we actually took a PreSonus digital board to Bonnaroo the last okay. couple of years. So we've been taking the Studio Live 32 down there. Mm-hmm. And um, it was a a bit of a transition for me because I had always taken an analog console down. But, um, and it took me, it was a bit of a learning curve to learn how to use it. But once I figured it out, mm-hmm. and once I figured out how to have a workflow where I could mix through it and get the right sound, then it's just like it can't be beat because now I have total recallability on that board. I can, one person can lift the whole console to take it down there. And all the multi track audio that goes out and gets recorded on another computer for archiving is a single Ethernet cable that goes into the back of a Mac oh, Mini. Oh, that's simple. And then we just we can do, you know, up to fifty six tracks of audio if we want to in, in Studio Live or uh, excuse me, PreSonus Studio One. Studio One, yeah. Yeah. And so we were just capturing all our audio that way and it sounded great. Nice. And then if you want to remix something, you just go up to the console, you hit the network button, swipe your finger across all the buttons so that now it's sourcing all the faders are coming back from the DAW instead of in. Mm-hmm. And you have the exact same levels and the exact same sound that you captured feeding the console oh. so that you can now, you know, you can tweak just press there. play yeah. and you can tweak the mix or remix it that way. You know, you get the exact same stuff. Or if I want to mix it again later, it's the same sound that I started with, which is pretty cool, you know. That's great, yeah. It's amazing how far the technology has come today. I mean, like every day, it's like you look at something and go, "It's amazing! It's the future of recording. It's here. Yeah. Everything is, can sound good with minimal amount of gear." Um, and uh, do do you find yourself kind of delving more into the innovation of today, or, or kind of still doing the classic? Now, analog or hybrid. Of, I am of all about um, using the best of whatever each thing brings. Mm-hmm. So no doubt to me that there are analog gear out there. Um, my tape machine, that console, the sound of real microphones and real musicians and real instruments. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even um, analog and digital synths that are separate from the console. Mm-hmm. Like they all have a, a, a sound that is partly just sonics that maybe can or can't be duplicated inside a computer but also just the physical tactile nature of real things is part of what makes them sound the way they do so i think that's really important and i think that you know as you move forward don't uh this is a tricky one so because you don't want to be a pack rat either but don't be too quick to ditch 
the old gear that you've got, mm-hmm. but at the same time, don't be a hoarder like me and never sell anything. Because I've got my buddy Chad, for example. He's a he's so great at like ditching something when he doesn't yeah. need it, and he'll see. He'll see this piece of gear that he's not using today, and he'll see five hundred dollars in it, and that's five hundred dollars towards the next piece of gear right. he wants. So he'll he'll carefully, you know, sell yeah. that, get the next thing, and really upgrade. I'm more inclined to like be like, ah, I might use that thing, <laughs> you know, just blow a whole bunch more money to try and get something new. Yeah, and um, then that takes up space in the studio. Yeah, too. it takes up space. I mean, I have like. I probably got four different versions of old Pro Tools rigs floating around nah. that you know, I never oh, got man. rid of. Um, and I kept thinking, oh, maybe I'll use them. Maybe they'll come in useful. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm trying to get more in the habit of just selling it off when I'm not using it anymore. Because, I mean, I don't have a lot of gear to sell off, but uh, like, probably keep I needed the to instruments. buy that. And, yeah. Probably keep the instruments. You know? I will keep the instruments. Guitars, Those amps, all have real keyboards, drums. Exactly. They all have an, an attitude to themselves. They're not digital copies of guitars and microphones are useful although i kind of have an embarrassment of mics at this point it's yeah we did a um i did a mic shoot out this morning um just to try and choose a vocal mic and tried 20 different microphones <laughs> and narrowed it down to one that i wouldn't have picked otherwise okay so it, it, is, it, it went against what you originally thought you'd choose sometimes you just never know until you try them all and then something leaps out because you know, the human voice is unique for every person, and, and it's hard to know ahead of time what mic is going to match up with a voice. And sometimes we also just forget. We just forget our own gear if you got a bunch of stuff, you know. Now, do you put them all on their own mic stands and put them all together? I've done that before. Um, that What you don't want to do is you don't want to turn what should be a musical recording session into a science project. Yeah. Um, so if whenever possible, just handhold a mic and plug a cable into it and talk into it and then just like pop it out and um, have the singer do that if you want or have an assistant who can do that for you and when we're shooting out mics on a session i like to always call it the the human mic stand um if i have an intern who's helping me do something um, i'll have them you know go out there put on some ear protection if it's loud where they are or whatever if it's if it's on a guitar amp or something like Mm -hmm. that and just take you know, take a cable, plug it into a mic, hold it up, listen mm-hmm. to it, say what mic it is, play a few licks on the guitar, right. swap it out, say what mic it is, yeah. play a few licks on the guitar, and, um, you know, just do it as quickly yeah. as possible. Like a multiple choice. Type yeah, because yeah. usually you can tell pretty quickly. You can be like, oh, this, this one's better than all the others. Yeah. Let's use that. Yeah, exactly. Just trust your ear. And and you don't need to spend two hours getting to that if you can spend, you know. So do you know about so, um, uh, Parkinson's Law, I think is what it's I called. I do. Right? It, it, Yes, I do. So, the, <laughs> so it is that any task will expand to fit the time allotted. The time allotted for to it. it, yeah. So basically, it says like if you give yourself ten minutes to sound check all the mics, then you'll you'll choose one in ten minutes. If you give yourself unlimited time, mm-hmm. it'll probably take unlimited. Yeah. You know, give yourself an hour; it'll take an hour. It's the paradox of choice. Indeed. Yeah. Um, so, how do you uh, set up mics for a podcast? For your podcast? Aha! So, all right. Good question. I have two ways of recording my podcast right now. I've been using the MicTech PM9 dynamic mics since the beginning for in-person interviews, Mm -hmm. and they sound great. I've tried them against some other mics, um, and they sounded great. Also, once you get something going, especially with a podcast where you're trying to do uh, consistent production, then consistency literally means like, you know, doing the same thing too so you can repeat it Mm -hmm. so it's really valuable to be sticking to the same 
uh, mics so that you can easily get the right mix and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the, but like I said, they sound great. So I use those for in person. Um, and when I do a Skype interview, I'm using the MicTech Procast SST, which is a USB mic with a built-in boom stand, so I can get that up at the right distance. And then on the other end of Skype, it's whatever I can get a guest to use. Okay. Which is not always easy. Right. And I've learned that um, you're absolutely right that if you can get a guest to use a good quality mic, it's going to sound better on your end. But I've also discovered that when a guest... Um, like Steve Albini shows up with nothing but the built-in laptop mic <laughs> and not even a pair of headphones, and that's all we've got. And oh, oh I'm lucky as hell to have him yeah. you know, for that for that uh, that interview yeah. on the podcast. And so I better just get down to business. Right. And it still turns out to be the one that everybody loves and yeah. get the most downloads. Then there you go. What does that tell you about mic choice? You know, it's, yeah. it's content. It's always performance, it's performance. and content. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but um, but I've, you know you can get a good sound out of a um, iPhone white earbud if you do it. Just be careful to warn your guest not to um, scrape the mic on their clothing. Oh yeah, yeah. or on their beard. Um, I learned that from using uh, those the you know in ear packs and then hearing yeah. that you know with the with the Apple um, earbuds. So the other thing is um, if you have a guest who's talking to you on a mic over Skype. They can't hear their own voice. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have to be the one to let them know that it's something's working or not working. They can't automatically adjust on their own. Mm-hmm. So I, I got another comment, too. So this is about yeah. in-person ones when I'm using the two PM9 mics, Okay, um, which I, we're actually pretty close. So we'll see how it goes for you. But <laughs> <laughs> I've discovered that uh, one of the things that's terrible, uh, what's great in music is room mics. Mm-hmm. What's terrible in dialogue is room mics. Oh, okay. So I can't stand uh, the sound of, um, you know, if you have two two mics for a podcast interview and and one is up close, but you're hearing the other one come through the other mic. Right. Especially if the other mic gets boosted, mm-hmm. where all of a sudden it's phasing out with the original mic. True. But I found some workarounds for that. I found some good tricks, and um, you know, I'll be happy. This to setup share has has as much as you a want to bit. know. Them, I'll share them with you. you. Know, yeah, I, would, I mean, I'm so happy to have you on, and whatever you, knowledge you can share, especially. Because your podcast is a real, really successful, like it, it kind of stands out, especially even in Nashville. And I think Nashville is almost like the hub of podcasters now. Really? There's, yeah, we do have a podcasters meetup group here and everything. Uh, yeah. Are you Are you part of that? I've been once. Mm-hmm. It falls on a night where I'm always parenting, so I can't go. Um, every time I find, I mean, not every time, but a lot of the times when I find some someone suggests a podcast they just say the title of the podcast and then i'll subscribe and then i'll listen to a couple episodes and it's like well i'm recording from nashville tennessee i'm like whoa this is really a hub and home studios no less oh you exactly know what? what i'm saying yeah that's what code said the, the last word from city codes was uh all right i checked with my supervisor and you don't have to remove all your equipment but if we got another complaint about you recording anybody other than yourself, and that includes podcasting. We will immediately take you to court and file a warrant. So, how? But you are obviously doing that. You're having. I know. I, I can neither confirm nor deny. <laughs> like the CIA. Okay. Oh man, that's uh, that's just ridiculous. Um, but what have you found to be like? How have you gotten all this traction and stuff? I know it's because you know you're a great producer. You have a lot of credentials and stuff, and you and you've just been able to gather all these guests and all this information and wisdom 
Uh, what, what do you think it's been? Just the consistency of it? Consistency helps a lot. That's one mm-hmm. thing I've learned from doing this is that um, it really is the one thing you have control over. Mm-hmm. Is consistency is just deciding that no matter what you're not going to give up and you're going to keep going. And believe me, there's plenty of times where I'm ready to give up. There's plenty of times where I'm just like, oh man, you know, <laughs> you know. There's anything you can think of could be an obstacle, whether it's you know something not going well or you're just too tired or it's like you know one o'clock in the morning and you just want to go to bed. Yeah. Um, or you know you're you're not earning money doing what you're doing or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's plenty of reasons to to give up, uh, but Consistency is just like just saying I'm not going to take no for an answer. I'm just going to do it. Just put it out again another mm-hmm. week. So I'm doing a weekly show, okay. Um, and that helped to just pick a time and a publish uh, day. So I always publish on Friday mornings. Okay. And I, at this point, it's been like you know 2 a.m. according to my my okay. publishing thing. Mm-hmm. So when you do a podcast, you can do it in advance and you can schedule it to publish at exactly the same time. It's not like you're, you don't have to do a live right then and there. You can do a live show. Right. There's right. a lot of power in doing live shows. And people who use um, something like YouTube Live to their advantage have, you know, that's a great tool. Mm-hmm. I'm not doing that myself, but, um, you know, I chose to do an interview-based show. So yeah. mine is, uh, and I, I may uh, break into some more stuff. I'm thinking about doing some Q&A stuff too. Because again, it is hard to continually get guests on your show. You're constantly like having to fill that bucket back up, you know? Yeah. And there are times where I've had a lot of shows, you know, you call it in the can, like recorded yeah, yeah. and ready f- to be edited and published. Mm-hmm. And then there are times where it gets down to the wire. In fact, right now I'm getting close during the summer. Yeah, summer. It's like when when things break up your Mm -hmm. schedule, when you've got travel and other things. Yeah, same here. And you lose a chunk of time. You know, all of a sudden you're just sort of like, you know, draining the bathtub. But what I found when scheduling people is people really want to do podcasts. Um, Oh, they really want to be guests on podcasts? Yeah, I get... um, I get a combination. I get most people that I invite are interested in it and come want to come on. Um, to find new guests, you can either proactively go out in search of people, mm-hmm. but that can be harder mm-hmm. because you're either cold calling somebody or you're trying to ask somebody who's pretty busy who hasn't heard about you yet um, necessarily to come do your show. And mm-hmm. then you have to go through this whole convincing process, get through the front door, you know, what's it all about kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and another way that I learned uh, early on is to ask people for referrals, too. So if you have a guest on your show, do a follow-up and ask for a referral. Hey, who else would you recommend oh, to be yeah. on the show? And, you know, that can help you. You know, it's you, it's pre-vetted. You know, it's somebody, if you if you respect a particular guest who's on your show and they recommend somebody else, there's a good chance you, you're going to find that you respect them a lot, too, and mm-hmm. that they, they bring a lot of value. But also... Um, when your guest reaches out and does an email introduction for you, that's golden because then the person on the other end is likely to answer the email quickly oh, okay. and you just jump right in and say, hey, thanks so much and and, right. uh, and schedule it from there. Okay. Yeah, good tips. It's, yeah, it's, it's well, little I'll, tweaks that you got to do. I get so the- geeky about this stuff if you want, you know. I don't know if your listeners are podcasts themselves. I guess in Nashville... Yeah, a lot of podcasters. Well, uh, most of my my listeners are you know in a few degrees of the the musicians that I that I interview and and their social media followers and and kind of cross promote between the people I have on and and myself. Um, and it's just really interesting the the, the little fa- like little podcast fans you just pick out of 
thin air almost like yeah you know it's so i mean this is the time this is the heyday of podcast it is what they're saying apple play going into cars <laughs> that's supposed to be like the big break you know Oh, when they're when you could just play them in a car. Yeah, because everybody can just podcast app will now be like a default app in a car. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess if it links to your iPhone anyway, and so therefore people will be you know discovering podcasts a whole lot more too. And, and the way you format your show, you have uh, an interview section, then you have the jam session, and the jam session is more towards gear and method um, while the beginning part is more of about their career history and um, I guess the one that stood out most to me is the Rob Schnapp uh, oh, cool. yeah. episode that I think great. that was my favorite because I'm such a huge Elliot Smith fan and Beck and, and actually that got me into Fu Manchu actually that episode oh, nice. yeah um, which I love is like yeah, the he little... had done so much great punk rock and stuff mm-hmm. too just really great stuff um in fact, when I was getting ready for that one, I remember I was, uh, it was winter nam and I was eating breakfast at Denny's outside of my shitty hotel room. It's okay to swear on your podcast. <laughs> yeah, totally. It's you. got the red E already built <laughs> yeah, in. Yeah, me too. When I, when I launched, I was like, no way do I want to have to like worry about vetting language. I was oh, just like, yeah. No. I'm just calling everything explicit no matter what. Mm-hmm. Um, or at least I think I am. I don't know. I might have to go check again. I think you are because, yeah. Everybody curses. Go, go. Let me know, everybody. <laughs> uh, so I'm, I'm listening to Rob's. I'm, what I like to do is I like to ask a guest to share a bunch of stuff that they've done. Credits. I throw. I assemble a YouTube playlist because YouTube's just such a great platform for music discovery and for me to be able to go put a playlist together very easily. Mm-hmm. Plus, if I put a playlist together on YouTube and put a link on there. Anybody can go click on that link and see it. You know, if I did the same thing with Spotify, people are going to click on it and then it can be like, you have to log into Spotify now. And then people are like, oh man. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I was doing that and just listening to his records, I was like, damn, these all sound so good, man. It's such cool stuff that I, I texted him. I was like, dude, I think yours is one of my favorite playlists I've made yet Yeah, for this. Oh, that's, yeah, that's awesome. I mean, and, and how, uh, what, what I love about podcasts in general and yours is the how genuine the guests are when it, when they come. There's no big big league talk really going on. It's just like you're talking about the process and you're talking about um, working with artists and 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 more of the uh, the principles and the values that go into produ- production rather than the gear and the technique. Yeah. Um, what you learn, the wisdom that you get over the years, and a lot of them really overlap, like and get reinforced. Those yeah, which values. I, you know, I, I I was aware of that too, and I, I mean, I guess I knew I'd be aware of that, but then doing it, but about 150 episodes now, um, I really see that happening, you know, too, and it's like, uh, it's kind of like church or something, right? Why why would you go every single week? Because it's when you reinforce something, mm-hmm. then it really yeah, makes it a part of your your process and your habits. And so I realized when I was listening to this, I was like, oh, it's okay that it, like we might talk about the same thing because it just keeps reminding mm-hmm. us. There's stuff that I already know that you could mention, and I'll be reminded of them. Like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. really? Yeah. I need to remember to do that on my session tomorrow or exactly. next week or whatever. So I think it's good to, and okay to have that reinforcement. And it's a natural reinforcement of things that are important to everybody. Well, that's what I'm... I, I realize because you have to you have to do it. you have to remember about the the skill you have to remember about what it takes to get a sound and you can't just go and get pay somebody and take a lesson with them for an hour and then think that it's in you you've got to then go set up your own mics and then go do your own tests or then if you have a deadline 
forget certain things and just go straight for one thing. Um, yeah. So that's what like the internet and podcasts have really shown me is just like use what you got and do the best you can with what you've got. Yeah, and th- there's been stuff that's come on the show that's been brand new to me, and there's been stuff that I probably knew a different version of. But I mean, I'm I'm learning tons of new tricks just by doing this, and that was sort of an unexpected thing too, where I was like, oh, I really am just set at, you know setting out to interview 150 producers and engineers at this point and ask them all these different things about recording and I'm learning stuff from it you know and I get uh, it's it's really wonderful right at that moment where I'm like oh man this is like wearing me out then I get an email from somebody who's like man thanks so much for doing the show it's so awesome I love it so so great it's really completely been a game life changer for me and that's like oh yeah that's right that's that's why we're doing this when you started did you want to make 150 episodes off the bat I I started with the intention of really growing something and and growing a business around it and everything, you know, really adding this as part of a career move. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't really set a goal for how many episodes it would be, mm-hmm. but I figured if I was going to do it and I was going to do it right, I mean, I'd still be doing it 10 years from start, you know? Yeah. Um, so it's been a few years now at this point. And it's growing, and there's always something you can do um, to grow it more. So, because it's part of you know what you can describe as an online business too, that means that there are things like it's if you're going to have an online business, it's really important to have an email list. I mean, that is just like critically important. Mm-hmm. It's still the number one way to reach people and get a message out if you want to. Um, have something that you know if you want to put something out there of value for sale for example or you know let people know about an opportunity or something that you're trying to do mm-hmm. whether you're trying to have an event or whether you're mm-hmm. you know creating something to teach people and help them do something or build a community i mean you have to have a really great email and list. what was vital to starting that list for you uh, well, so vital to starting that list is uh, choosing an email service. You can't do this with Gmail. You have to use an email service. So a lot of people would be familiar with something like MailChimp, MailChimp for yeah. example. That's one of the bigger um, old school ones. I actually use one that has an office right here in East Nashville called ConvertKit. Oh, okay. And it was an email service that was founded by bloggers to be most useful for bloggers. So even though I'm doing a podcast, it's really a form of a blog. You know, it's basically, um, I don't know, is serial the right word? Content? I think mm-hmm. it is, right? Because it's uh, released on a regular schedule, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, doing the podcast. And then I do have a website that goes with that. I did start an email list. I started, you want to start social media channels for all those things. And right. before you know it, you're overwhelmed with all this stuff you have to make yeah. and content. Um but as far as growing an email list goes, um, in order to grow an email list, you have to give people a really good reason to want to share their email address with you. Mm-hmm. And, and what it's called opting in. You have to give people a good reason to opt into your email list. Mm-hmm. And um, very good reasons if you're teaching people how to do stuff is offer something that's really helpful to them that's part of the learning experience yeah. so that they say, oh, that's wonderful. What a great, right. uh, you know. I've done things like there are um, extra downloadable content that goes with different podcast episodes I've done, um, cheat sheets and things like mm-hmm. that, you know, that you might actually have and print out and put in your studio. Mm-hmm. In my case, that that's something that I would consider maybe a valuable thing. It's like, okay, print this out. You can put it right in the studio next to your computer. It's mm-hmm. a reminder of different, yeah. you know, useful 
tips or yeah. this will help you figure out your delay times or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And then somebody who's listening goes, oh, yeah, I want that. That's great. And then if they share an email address and opt in for that, then they're joining my email list now if I have a message to get out to everybody. Um, I do send a weekly email. I always send an email that, about this week's podcast episode, you know. And I'll Mm -hmm. include the link to that. I'll tell, there'll be a blurb in there about who the guest is, what it's all about, you know, an image that goes with it, a little play button so that somebody can click on it. And that brings them over to the uh, the website blog post. And then there's a player there, or they can just click directly and go to iTunes, or they can just download it themselves or whatever. Mm -hmm. Uh, Okay, great. And and I know uh, you have some some things that happen with every episode of Recording Studio Rockstars. You ask the guest for a quote. Oh, yeah, an inspirational quote, right? Yeah, you're going to need one from me, uh-oh. No, 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 <laughs> only if you're willing to give one. I, mine is like, so I don't really have a lot of things. We just kind of talk, but... Yeah, uh, I, I don't know if I have... Well, you know, I, I've thought about... Um, great advice I remember learning because you know it's funny I ask all these questions of other people and then every once in a while I'm like Lidge you know you should probably know the answers to your own questions in case anybody (laughs) asks you but I'm always winging it but one of the uh, great bits of advice that I got that I remember was early on um, from my mentor Brad Jones who Mm -hmm. um, is a co-owner with Robin Eaton of Alex the Great Recording in Barry Hills Mm -hmm. a studio I started out at and he would just we'd be miking up a drum kit and he'd talk about placing a mic so that it could see something and I never thought about that before I'd never thought about it like a camera lens you know it's like interesting an overhead mic let's move it over here so it can see the beater of the kick drum and I oh, was yeah. like really it's like way over here over this shoulder is that a thing you know and sure enough yeah it really you know those kind of details and that kind of it's just sound waves and light waves yeah just visualizing as if it was a camera lens looking down at what you're recording you know what are you looking at? That's yeah. probably what you're going to hear. You know? That's great. So I thought that was really uh, eye slash ear opening for me and yeah. helped me, you know, and I still still think that way all the you time. You can see yourself more as a filmmaker now. You're, you're yeah, getting I mean, the right... You like, put mics over a drum kit and yeah. you're just thinking like, well, where should these go? And, mm-hmm. you know, with Brad, I kind of learned to say like, okay, this mic is an overhead over here, but it's sort of, you know, it's next to this crash and it's next to the ride and it's next to this floor tom. And it's like, do you want more floor tom? Move it closer to the floor tom. Who cares what rules there are yeah. for mic spacing and stereo and everything else? Just just move it over yeah. and get more of that instrument, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so what are you working on currently? Um, I'm producing a record for an artist named Aaron Armistead, and it's uh, it's taken us a minute to do it, but it's a lot of fun, and it is just a great pop record um it's just you know very lush full songs with guitars keyboards mm-hmm. he's he's doing a lot of um background vocals himself right now and getting into that and this is fun you know are, are, is he playing all the instruments or is it a band no no he plays guitar and then um we worked with some really great musicians mm-hmm. um uh lindsey jameson on drums and and um ross rice playing keys and uh just uh, some other cats and just a lot of a lot of fun parts, you know. He's very—he's one of these interest, interesting musicians who can't necessarily tell you what the name of the chord is, or doesn't know anything about music theory. Okay. But he's just mentally with a with a um, an ear, you know, 
playing by ear mm-hmm. has great understanding of arrangement and yeah. pitch and just like just incredible arrangements. So he like kind of shows you a shape on the guitar, they're the bass player. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He just he just sort of but he, he can hear all these interwoven parts, musical parts, even though he can't tell you what's going on with them. Awesome. So that's pretty cool. I'm doing a record with um uh um David Rogers, who's a wonderful jazz keyboardist and um pianist and just just working with really amazing amazing jazz musicians doing that great uh record i had done about a year ago that i'm super proud of is um from anthony matula and it's called the blue hour and um his website is nashvillejazzdrummer.com how's that for oh, a good there you go. That's some seo right there <laughs> yeah, some seo yeah <laughs> but um that was a really fun record too because what we did is we put the entire band in a room together with no headphones. Mm-hmm. So I decided, I was like, you know what? I'm sick of recording people where they're not really performing like I think they would perform right. the way they naturally do because yeah. because there's just too much in the way. Mm-hmm. So um, everybody was willing to do it without any headphones. And we just balanced and, you know, instruments and mics are literally right on top of each other. But everybody found a way to play at the right volume. We even did vocals that way. We did we did a vocalist in on two songs. Oh, okay. And it was like a perfect balance. Oh, that's and it just, awesome. It, got, it really had that quality that made me go, yes, bleed is a wonderful yeah. thing. What kind know? of mic did you use for the vocalist? Um, I was using the Lewitt LCT 940. Oh, yeah. Nice. On on the vocals on that. And then we used a lot of the Lewitt mics um, on horns, uh, sax, trumpet, drums. I, I really like the MicTech CV3s for my overheads on drums. Now that you're doing, I guess, modern jazz, do you, are you, do you look back to like the Rudy Van Gelder stuff and kind of, are you listening to more jazz, more classic jazz? Or are you trying to take a modern I've approach? I've always been to, a fan of jazz. And in yeah. fact, the, the no headphone session was much more like a Rudy, Rudy Van Gelder session mm-hmm. anyway, you know, um, very open and traditional stuff. Yeah. They, were, they were doing a lot of traditional covers, so it wasn't original music anyway. But um, no, I've always been a super fan of that. I grew up in Boston, mm-hmm. and when I was a kid in the 80s, I would do my uh, math homework late at night and listen to Eric in the Evening. Mm-hmm. I was on PBR. I mean, MB- PBR. PBR. <laughs> no, I wasn't for many years later. No, NPR. Yeah. So that was the jazz program, and, and Boston just had this great jazz scene. I think it was called the um, Regatta Bar or something. Mm-hmm was downtown and it was near van uh near, not vanderbilt either it was near harvard in cambridge um the nashville heat's getting in my head here. yeah i'm starting to swim in it um just listeners know that know the level of dedication that we give you because we're in a closed studio with no ac and fans because it's a podcast you want to screw that up but it is Nashville midsummer heat uh, with the windows closed. It's just yeah. vicious. Yeah, we're, in a, good a, we're in a sweat box in we're here. We're in a sweat box. The sweat box studio. But it's that uh, I will say this about hot studios is um, 